And now, Taking Care of Business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 223. Our guest today is Dr. John Finn, author of the best-selling book, The Habit Mechanic, Fine-Tune Your Brain and Supercharge How You Live, Work, and Lead. John founded the award-winning Tougher Minds Consultancy and has three psychology-related degrees, including Ph.D. Tougher Minds Consultancy uses cutting-edge insights from psychology, behavioral science, neuroscience, and world champions to help organizations develop habit mechanics, developing resilient people, outstanding leaders, and world-class teams. Good morning, John, and welcome to Business Owners Radio. Morning, Shai. Thank you for having me. Well, I can tell you, it is absolutely our pleasure. We are really fired up about your new book, The Habit Mechanic, Fine-Tune Your Brain and Supercharge How You Live, Work, and Lead. John, I got to start right at the beginning here. I mean, I know that you've helped thousands of people using your consultancy tactics, and you have three psychology-related degrees, and this book was 20 years in the making. So what led you to land on this theme, and why is this so important to you? Yeah, it's a great question. I was advised when I was 17 to study something at university that I felt would find interesting. The only thing I really found interesting back then was playing sport. And luckily, you could go study sports science. I went to learn about psychology, physiology, nutrition, motor control. That's how you learn to learn. And as I went on this journey to become initially a sports psychologist, it was very clear to me that we were being taught how to help people to know what they should be doing differently. But there was very little in how to help people actually do things differently. And then in my master's, I got to work with some fantastic scientists, people that were working with places like NASA, right at the time where functional MRI scanners were becoming cheap enough for research departments to buy them. So functional MRI scanners were um, allowing us to look inside people's brains in real time for the first time. And it was becoming clearer and clearer that knowing what you should do wasn't going to be all that helpful because we had a brain that was largely running on automatic, semi-automatic behavior. So we were being driven, in other words, by habits. And I think that pop psychology has done a really bad job in introducing the topic of habits to people because most people now believe that habits are maybe 40% of what they do. And we tend to think of habits as physical actions Well, the data is very clear. At least 98% of what we think and what we do is mindless automatic behavior. If you look at people like Daniel Kahneman's work, George Lakoff's work, we have a tiny, tiny bit of consciousness and everything else is automatic. So habits are fundamental to everything that we do individually and collectively. And most people do not understand this. I was just writing an article for Forbes and this is the first time I've used this line where I say, forget about human capital. We need to start focusing on habit capital because it's habits that are driving everything that we're thinking and we're doing. And unfortunately, a lot of the habits that we find easiest to develop are really unhelpful for being healthy, happy and at our best in the world that we live in. Those habits are increasingly easy to develop because of the way the world triggers and brains us to do all this sort of unhelpful stuff from worrying too much, from beating ourselves up too much to living the wrong type of lifestyle, etc. So habits are everything that we do pretty much, and it's easier than ever to develop bad ones. So 
I've made it my life's mission to make it as easy as possible for people to actually start understanding that and building more new helpful habits individually and collectively. And the Habit Mechanic book is pretty much everything I know about how to help people to do that. That's why it's taken you know 20 plus years to put together. That's just an incredible volume of work and your commitment to this mission is really poignant, especially right now, you know, because what I can't help hearing and what you're saying is it's not just that we're so unaware of so many of the things that we do that are essentially on autopilot, perhaps now more than any time in history, we are being actively exploited in a very targeted way to create new habits almost without our understanding that it's even taking place. Yeah. So the way we frame it is we're in a learning war. So humans are designed to learn. The myth that some people are naturally good at this thing will never be any good at this thing. Humans are designed to learn. Well, we're learning before we're born. Very well established now that babies learn to smile, for example, by mirroring people they see around them. and we're being conditioned to learn some really unhelpful things. So we're being conditioned to question and judge our own lives in comparison to other lives. We've got this access to you know, social media. It's easy for people to tell untrue stories really about how they live their life and which can make us feel bad about how we live our lives. We're conditioned to keep checking, just to keep checking, to keep checking, whether it's emails or our phone or anything else. And that's been intensified as we've adopted the hybrid work model through the pandemic. We're being tricked into buying things. And the people that are doing this are very aware of, of habits and very aware of the biases our brains have. And they're monetizing us and we're not even aware of it. So yeah, it's a very, very challenging time to be alive. Jen, one of the things that comes up to the business world continuously and is written about and phrased differently from various views is the work-life balance. And as business owners, we run up against this all the time. And what are you seeing from a habit standpoint or some of your years of research? What, how do you view the work-life balance? More challenging than ever before. And I think the main impact of hybrid workplaces of the pandemic is we are now relying more on our employees to self-manage. Because when our employees came to the workplace every day, it was easier for us to help them to manage their behavior and to do things, to build habits that help them to be at their best, that help the business to be at its best. But when people are working from home, they're being conditioned by other cultural factors. And the way that we think of this is every day is like a barcode. There's only 24 hours in a day, that's all that we've got. And you can think of a barcode, black lines, white lines, Think of the black lines as time in the day when you're doing and thinking things that are getting in the way and making it more difficult for you to be healthy, happy, and at your best. And the white lines are times in the day when you're doing things that are making it easier for you to be healthy, happy, and at your best. And I think most people's experience of the lockdown, the pandemic, is that more black lines have been introduced into their 24-hour period, which makes managing work-life balance more difficult. So whether it's on the work side or the home side, it's just more difficult to achieve our health, our happiness and our performance goals. So yeah, I think it's very, very challenging for employees to help their people to be at their best, which is why we have to go back to the first principles in that all the behavior is driven by science and that helping them to be their best isn't an art, it's a science and it's, it's habit science, it's leadership science. 
And if we use a scientific lens, we've got a better chance of actually helping our people to get rid of more of those black lines, help them to introduce more white lines, help them to be happier employees or happier people in general, more motivated people, higher performing people. And that's going to drive the results that we want in our organization. The other thing that I'm seeing, and I think especially to people that are listening in, is that change is the only constant in the modern world. And if you're growing a business, the key to success is getting really good at change. And I think that it's more important than ever to be not just good at change management, but to be excellent at change management. And if you want to be excellent at change management, you need to start with the principle that it's habits that are driving everything in your business. And there's a scientific process you can use to make it easier for your people to build better habits. And if you get to grips with that, you're going to beat the competition every time. John, in your book, you mention habit mechanic intelligence. Tell us more about that and how it applies to our everyday life that we might gain from. Yeah, so because we are so habituated in what we do and because the way our brains are wired, we're not that self-aware of how we think and what we do. So if we want to get better at self-management, which everyone needs to in the world we live in, we need to develop more intelligence about ourselves. So we call that habit mechanic intelligence. So this idea that I'm getting a better understanding of the habits that are running me, the helpful ones and the unhelpful ones. And like a mechanic can precisely fix an engine, I'm going to start to learn how to precisely unravel the unhelpful habits and start to build more helpful habits. So the Habit Mechanic book is essentially is a guide to help you to have a mechanic intelligence so you can be at your best more often. And once you've done that, you can start to develop what we call chief habit mechanic intelligence. So you, you can build cultures that make it easier for your people to be at their best more often. So we see that as the number one skill that we need to help our people and ourselves to develop if we want to get good at developing more helpful habits in the challenging world that we live in. Also in your book, I noticed the terms destructive habits and super habits. Give us some examples on what we should be aware of and what we should be sensitive to. Yeah, so there are probably thousands of habits running what I'm thinking and doing right now, as there is for everyone who's listening. And what we've learned is that certain habits are disproportionately impactful. The destructive ones are disproportionately impactful in a negative way. And the super habits are disproportionately impactful in a positive way. So an example of a destructive habit might be, I finish work too late. And because I finish work too late, I eat too late. And because I'm eating late, I'm really hungry, so I eat too much. And because I eat too much, I don't sleep very well. And because I don't sleep very well, I don't feel great the next morning. And I feel sluggish and lethargic. And that means that I'm working longer. And again, I'm finishing work later. So just this one behavior of finishing work too late is triggering all this other helpful stuff. And then I start to put on weight and I beat myself up. So it's starting to introduce all these really unhelpful black lines into my 24 hours. So if I can deal with that finishing work too late behavior, I can eradicate lots of the other associated unhelpful behaviors. One of my super habits, and the flip side, the more the powerful positive habits, if you like, one of my super habits is the first thing I do every morning is I go for a run, about a 20, 25-minute run. And I do that because it helps me to manage what I eat. It helps me to manage my brain state so that when I sit at my desk, I've got all the right neurotransmitters in my brain, be efficient and effective doing that high-charge, clever work for the first sort of four, five hours of the day. 
and it means I finish work on time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the process of becoming a habit mechanic is to start to uncover your destructive habits and your super habits. This is a lifelong journey. As much as I knew about myself last year, I know a lot more about myself this year, and I've developed my habit mechanic intelligence even further, and my chief habit mechanic intelligence even further because I'm in this constant cycle of what we call intelligent self-watching, that is analyzing my habits and doing intelligent planning, that is working on unhelpful habits very deliberately to get rid of them and building more and more super habits. This is a lifelong journey to become a habit mechanic. And what we're really trying to do is develop that backbone of really powerful super habits that just spending a couple of minutes every day doing certain things, you know, literally save us hours and make it much easier for us to be the best versions of ourselves in our more general lives, but also in the workplace as well. And John, you mentioned the element of time coming into it and gaining time. And of course, there all the years go up as far as time management. And of course, with time management comes into that dreaded thing called discipline, because we're so easily distracted with more important things at the moment. And then following on with the motivation to really find these habits, make them into super habits and be aware of destructive habits, and then having the discipline to implement. And what are your thoughts there? Yes, yeah, so we might think of, of discipline as what I'd call willpower. So this ability to stop ourselves reaching for the chocolate biscuit or to stop ourselves staying up too late to watch the next episode on Netflix, whatever we're watching, so we can get, go to bed and get a good night's sleep. Willpower is the conduit for change. It's a limited resource. So if we want to build sustainable new helpful habits, we have to use behavioral science. And our proprietary behavioral science model, which is completely explained in, in the Habit Mechanic book, is called the nine action factors model. So we see there are nine core factors that are driving our behavior all the time. They drive our unhelpful habits. They drive our helpful habits. These factors are largely invisible to us. And if we can understand what they are, we can then use them and activate them to make it easier for us to do the things we want to do. And when we do that, we don't have to rely so much on being disciplined or motivation because the behavioral science is silently and invisibly supporting the behaviors that we want to develop to be at our best. And not only can we use that science at an individual level to manage our own habits, we can also use it at an organizational level. The nine action factors are driving everything that's happening in your business. So all the good stuff and all the bad stuff. And this goes back to what I was saying about using the science of change management, because when we start to use the science, we can be much more efficient and effective in helping our people to do what we want them to do. The biggest complaint I get from senior leaders in businesses that we work with is we know what we want our people to do, but we can't get them to do it. So they have what I'd call a logical based or a knowledge based strategy. So the strategy looks great on paper and it, it all makes sense. But when it comes to implementation, it doesn't actually get the behavioral traction that the senior leaders want. So the key here is we have to build habit-based strategies. And a core part of doing that is using those nine action factors to help your people to build the habits that are going to allow your business to achieve the outcome that, it, that you want it to achieve. I like the element of being able to further understand and evaluate ourselves as we go along. As leaders, we're trying to make sure that we're the best so we can transfer that knowledge and leadership to our teams and be able to have that being an accepted norm. Many times, being humans, we're wonderful test cases. How do we build up, from a leader's standpoint, build up more confidence in our ability 
to be able to roll forward better habits amongst our organizations and executive level and all the way down the line? Is it a demonstrated leadership thing or is it setting certain parameters in place that allow that to happen? What are you finding? Yeah, so I found, I think ultimately we have to help leaders to build better habits and the kind of habits we've seen that are really powerful and important for senior leaders. And in fact, the way I see it is that everyone in your business is a leader because leader is just about influence and everyone does have influence, even if it's just a tiny, tiny 1% or half a percent influence. Everyone's got influence and some people have positive influence, some have a negative influence. But ultimately to start having more positive influence, I think we need a roadmap to what really great leadership in the modern world looks like. And we group that into four core areas. We've got the role model, and there are a set of habits connected to that, as you might imagine. We've got the action communicator, how you communicate, and there are a set of habits connected to that. We've got the cultural architect, and there are a set of habits connected to that. And we've got the swap coach, which is helping other people to make sustainable change on a sort of a one-to-one basis. And there are a set of habits connected to that. And in the habit mechanic, we break down all those four areas and we give you the self-assessment tools, if you like, so you can start to understand where you are in each of those four areas. And in fact, you can use the same thinking with everybody in the organization. As I said before, whoever you are, you have a leadership responsibility. Not everybody's going to wear all four hats, but even from your, you know, the graduates coming into the business, the apprentices, we expect them to be increasingly better role models and increasingly better action communicators, for example. We don't need them to be cultural architects yet. We don't need them to be great swap coaches yet. But we need everyone to have that almost habit development plan so that they are continually being empowered and given responsibility to be working on themselves. And that's what we've created with the habit mechanic approach. And and it's all in the book so that you've got a a shared understanding across the business. It just starts with everyone taking more responsibility and very deliberately working on themselves. And we call that a purposeful development culture. And I think the best example I've seen of this, of in the corporate world, is Ray Dalio and Bridgewater Associates. And what they've done there is very transparent because of Dalio's books. You know, they've created a real meritocracy there, which essentially the heart of the business is the number one thing we expect you to do every day is to get a little bit better. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to sustain your position in business because we're going to promote the people that are doing that, that are working on themselves. The problem with Dalio's approach and Bridgewater's approach, and they openly say it, is that that approach won't work for your business because they've been developing and fine-tuning that and creating a, a program that works for Bridgewater for you know, 20, 30 years now. So what we've done with our approach is we've created almost an off-the-shelf program that you can use to parachute into your business and to bespoke to the needs of your business so that you can get all the good stuff that happens in places like Bridgewater Associates, but make a version that's fit for your culture and your organization and that aligns with your goals, but ultimately that drives a purposeful development organization where the number one principle is if everyone turns up every day and and works on themselves and just gets a little bit better, that's going to go an awful long way in helping us to achieve our goals individually and collectively, not just at work, but you know across everything that we do in life. Because doing that, I think, is key for both being healthy, happy, and at our best. You know, feeling ourselves making that progress and feeling ourselves getting more control over the challenging world. I think it makes a lot of sense, John. And you know, 
one of the things that I'm really taking away from this conversation is that it almost feels to me that some of the areas we focus on, either for our own development as leaders or for developing leaders in our organization, may be more superficial than we're aware of. Because it feels like it's very tactical, like we'll try to adopt a new management program or a new management method or a new style of leadership. And it feels to me like this underlying thing is that if you're not able to create habit change, you can't just implement something on top of that and expect it to really take hold if you don't give the people the tools to really understand how to make something stick. Yes, this is absolutely fundamental. Habits are driving everything that we're doing. And I think, yeah, we are guilty of running training that is very, very knowledge heavy. And just to give one example of that, in the UK, as I'm sure across most of the Western world, more people than ever before know and actually agree, it's a good idea to eat five portions of fruit and vegetables a day and to walk 10,000 steps. But in the UK, the National Health Service, which by the way is the biggest company in Europe, spends over half of its annual budget each year on diseases that emerge because people don't walk 10,000 steps a day and they don't eat five portions of fruits and vegetables. We don't do what we know we should do. We do what we're in the habit of doing. You know, and the biggest complaint I hear of any training program, no matter how good it is, is that was great, but I just put the notes in the drawer and I never looked at them again. So we have to be giving people the tools and the knowledge to actually make positive change happen in their lives. My early career was in professional sport, and around that time, sports science was really taking a grip. And we were seeing these amazing transformations in players' fitness levels, in player conditioning. And they're still going on, but the gains are nowhere near as big as they were because the performance gains have, have, have kind of plateaued out a little bit in that field. I genuinely think that, let's just call it habit science, the businesses that start to properly implement this it's going to be like they're going to get the performance gains that are similar to what happened in sports science with the physiological and, and conditioning of the players. So this is wide open. It's like you've got a gold mine in your business. It's right beneath your feet. And the reason I wrote the habit mechanic was to give people the tools to be able to start accessing it and not just talk about being healthy, happy and at our best, but actually giving people the tools to be able to do it. So I think we're at a really exciting period. And I use the term the factory model. And I just mean that when lots of people worked in factories every day, you essentially learned the core skills of, of what you needed to do in your late teens and your early 20s. You didn't take work home with you. The, you know, emails didn't exist. You did a nine to five. You didn't have to worry too much about anything when you weren't in the factory. When we had that model, the habit idea was pretty easy to build and get right. And understanding the science of helping to people to build new habits wasn't that important. We don't have that model anymore. We live in a world where the only constant is change. And there's this a bigger pressure on our performance levels than ever before. So this is super important. If you've got well-being, mental health problems in your workplace, it's a habit problem. If you've got leadership challenges, it's a habit problem. If you've got productivity issues, it's a habit problem. If you've got engagement problems, it's a habit problem. And as you're saying, what we've traditionally tried to do is give people more knowledge to deal with that stuff. It doesn't work. We've got to help them to build better habits. That's the key. Well, John, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. We had such a great time speaking with you, and we've learned a lot about the world of habits and incredible opportunities that lie within. 
Well, thank you, Shai and Craig. The fantastic questions and hopefully it's really got people thinking. If people want to find out more about what we do, you can check out the Habit Mechanic book, which is available on all the major online retail stores, including Amazon. It's an audio book as well. We've actually got the Habit Mechanic University app, which is absolutely free. So come and join us on there. And if you want to dig deeper into our services, you go to tougherminds.co.uk. And I'm also on LinkedIn and quite active on there. So if you want to reach out and connect, I'd be delighted to do that. So thanks for listening and thanks for having me as a guest. Really enjoyed it. Our guest today has been Dr. John Finn, author of the best-selling book, The Habit Mechanic. Fine-tune your brain and supercharge how you live, work, and lead. You can learn more about John as well as find links to his book and website all in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.